Would you join together with me in prayer? And gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to this Palm Sunday, we realize we, we have completed or come to the nearing of the completion of another year of, of, of Lent, a journey, Lord, that we take with you. And as we take this journey each and every year, Lord, it is a reminder that, Lord, our lives are lived in a journey to you and to your lordship and, and into your kingdom. And that, Lord, each and every year as we, as we take this journey, you open up new discoveries for us that allow us to be able to, to love you in deeper ways and to serve you, Lord, in greater ways. So I pray that this morning, Lord, and this Palm Sunday morning, that we might once again with fresh eyes see the, the wonder of your grace and, and the greatness of your love so that, Lord, that this being the day that you have made, we would rejoice and be glad in it, and that, Lord, this being the day that you have made, we might seize it. Lord, carpe diem. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open to the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we'll be going into the 19th chapter. But, but at the end of the 18th chapter, there, are, there is a perspective that we need to grasp. Now, over the last couple of months, as we have been on a journey with the disciples that we've been taking, actually from Luke chapter 11, uh, we find ourselves with Jesus as he's leading them through uh, to that final lap of journeys throughout Israel, uh, that final lap that, that heads toward Jerusalem and the completion of his mission on the cross. So from that, the, the, the series of studies that we've had in Luke 11 and 12, I want you to fast forward with me this morning to Luke 18, where after these three years of, of a tour with Christ, the, uh, the disciples are arriving at a crossroads. And in chapter 31 of, of Luke 18, Jesus makes an announcement. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now, for the disciples, it would mean uh, that they are heading now to an opportunity to attend the uh, most holy feast of Israel, the Passover. But for Jesus, it was so much more. He was about to keep his appointment, the divine appointment that was set from the beginning of time. A, a, a moment where, as he says, and you'll see that in Luke 18, everything that was written about, by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. And for the disciples, it may have seemed to be just a journey of days for a festival, but, but for Jesus, it was a journey that actually began back in the mind of God in eternity, where, where the love of God authored the plan of salvation, and a plan that would then come to culmination with the ultimate sacrifice for sin on the cross. And as Jesus continued, he says, the Son of Man will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him. They will insult him. They will spit on him. They will flog and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. For the disciples, they were about to complete their road trip. But for Jesus, the momentum of heaven was in the final lap that the plan of salvation would be fulfilled. Now, eventually, the, the disciples would catch the spirit of the situation as that momentum then began to build from chapter 18. 
You'll read that in, 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 in chapter uh, 19, in, in, in chapter 18, verse 35. He was approaching Jericho. In chapter 19, verse 1, he entered and passed through Jericho. And in 19, chapter 28, or uh, chapter 19, verse 28, he was going on ahead and ascending to Jerusalem. And in verse 29, we read, and he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet. Now, you cannot help but read these words with a, without a sense of, of momentum building, this mounting excitement. And, and it's almost as if with each one of those positions from Jericho to Bethphage to Bethany to Jerusalem, it's almost as if they're saying, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, here he comes, something wonderful is about to happen. And something wonderful does happen. It's called Palm Sunday. What I have written in my Bible, really as a little uh, heading, as the triumphal entry. It's a day of triumph. And in verse 29 of chapter 29, the day begins as he approached Bethphage and Bethany, the two suburbs leading into Jerusalem. Bethany, about two miles out from Jerusalem, and Bethphage, about a mile, one mile. In verse 28, we read that Jesus was walking ahead, and you may wonder, ahead of who? Ahead of what? And at first you may imagine that, that, that there were just the twelve disciples with him, but in fact, he was accompanied by so many more. It was in Jericho that we read in Mark chapter 10 that he had healed blind Bartimaeus, and the word began to spread, and, flock, and pilgrims began to flock to him. And it was at Bethany that we read in John 11 that he had raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and that wildfire began to burn. And in John chapter 12, we read that great crowds were actually coming, coming out of Jerusalem, not just for the Passover, but to see him. People were going to Jerusalem, but crowds were coming from Jerusalem to join this, this Jesus movement. And the religious leaders in Jerusalem were beside themselves with only one thought in their mind. How do we eliminate this guy named Jesus? It was a moment of unparalleled tension in Jerusalem. Not even the oldest in Jerusalem had ever seen anything like it. Wherever you went, the marketplace, the alleys, the temple, the street, Jesus was the word. And as the pressure began to mount, the Lord took definite and calculated, premeditated steps for action. In verse 30, he says, Go into the village ahead of you, he told two of his disciples. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. (laughs) Well, here we have a colt, a, a baby donkey. And you may wonder, what's up with that? Don't they have Uber in those days? A colt? A colt of a donkey? And the answer is very, very simple. It's very, very strategic. Over 500 years before, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that the Messiah, the Lord, would come to Jerusalem riding the foal of a donkey. His exact words were in Zechariah, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before. And Jesus deliberately fulfilled this prophecy to the letter. Not just a donkey, 
but the colt of a donkey. Because in this biblical culture, it was expected that an animal that was devoted to sacred and holy tasks must be one that had never been used to ordinary use. On your sermon outline, I have the verses, Numbers 19 and Deuteronomy chapter 21 and 1 Samuel 6. And and all of that speaks of the special use of this animal. And, and, And it had been pressed into the spiritual consciousness of the people of Israel. And to take it one step further, the instructions that the disciples were given was that the colt would be tied or tethered. And again, that fulfilled another prophecy. In Genesis chapter 49, the announcement was made that the Messiah, of the Messiah, that the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nation is his. He will, and listen now to this prophecy, he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. So this imagery, this symbols were beginning to develop, and one more step came along. He rode that donkey, and in riding that donkey, it identified him directly with the royal line of King David. Because during King David's reign, the donkey was considered to be the royal animal, the animal which symbolized peace, as opposed to the horse which symbolized war. As David toured his kingdom, the sight of him on a donkey communicated to the people that he was visiting. It communicated safety and peace and joy. He was not coming as the cavalry uh, armed for battle. He was coming on a donkey with gentleness and with grace. And it was only after David that the Hebrew kings then switched to horses. It was after David's son Solomon that the kingdom became a kingdom and kingdoms and went to war with each other as well as with the rest of the world, and there the kings rode on horses. When you saw him, you knew war was about to commence, but with Jesus, he was on a donkey, just like King David. Wishing to portray peace and safety, life. Now, if you were just to pick up the Bible and read this particular passage, it would it might escape you, but if you had the mind of, 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 of the people at the time, you would see dots beginning to emerge in this story. Because if they, they had been steeped in the Scriptures, and they would then begin to connect the dots, and in connecting the dots, a picture would begin to emerge. And along with the fact that they were thinking, He is coming, He is coming, another factor came into play. The King is coming. The King is coming. The King is coming. So imagine the effect on the crowd as all those pieces came together. In verse 37 we read, As he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples, no, not just the twelve, not just twenty, not just fifty, not just, but the entire crowd, the word crowd goes beyond numbers. And the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. It was a conspiracy of intuition. All of their spiritual senses, trained by the prophecies, all of their emotional responses, stimulated by Christ's actions and miracles and teaching, and all of their social senses, elevated to a a fever pitch, 
to such a pitch that the crowd just had to find a voice. And so in verse 38, they let that voice loose. Look at it. It says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, and glory in the highest. Now you may note in your Bible there are spaces around this song. And the reason for that is very simple. Every year the crowds came to the Passover, they would chant a section of the Psalms called the Halal. There were songs that were to be sung on the way to Jerusalem to help prepare them for a time of worship. It was part of the program, it was the choruses choruses that they would sing. And they all knew the songs, and this particular song came from Psalm 118. But this day... The presence of Jesus Christ made all the difference in the words that they sang together. Now most of you are familiar with the words that are recorded by Mark in his gospel. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, we read that those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. You see, it was more than just a song. And it was more than just the fact that they might have been, you know, musically tone deaf. And so they had to shout instead of sing. But, but, but they, they gave it everything. It was robust. And it was more than a shout. It was actually more like a chant. You get that idea. They would say, Hosanna. And then, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. And it would go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Now, those are familiar words, aren't they? Can you all say them with me? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <laughs> now, those are familiar words. And even as you say them, you, you realize that, that they are just not spoken as if you're reading Scripture. In Mark's Gospel, he goes beyond that word shout that we find in Luke. And the word that he has translated literally means shouted repeatedly. And the idea is that this was an antiphonal chant that waved back and forth between the crowd that went ahead and then the crowd that followed. So now forgive me if if I offend the dignity of this particular sanctuary, but I want you to get the feel of the moment. So, uh, actually I'm going to ask you to stand. Everybody just stand up. Okay. And we're going to replicate this. And so this side of the congregation are in front of Jesus, Okay. And this side of the congregation, you're catching up. You're behind them. Okay, so. And so this side will say, Hosanna. And then once they say Hosanna, this side of the congregation will say what? Blessed. What, what, I'm, I can't hear you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then you will say again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you are going to say what? And then what are you going to say? And then what are you going to say? And then what are you going to say? Okay, okay, okay. You got the idea here. Okay. It kind of goes back and forth. That's right, you can be seated. (laughs) I didn't say you could be seated. Simon did not say. (laughs) But you get the idea of what was happening here. And and, and if you keep that up and 
and the, and the fever pitch is there, you can see how it would begin to mount. And people who had not heard in the city are sitting there going, what on earth is going on? And they begin to join. And you thought it was just a psalm that we have in the book of Psalms. Now you know why, why, why Mark writes it became a shout. One writer says that the, that the words reverberated throughout the valley before the temple and the growing throng, throng was, was caught up in a mass prophetic ecstasy. Hosanna. Hosanna. Now you can understand the reaction then that occurs right away then in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd hearing all of this said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop it. Teacher, notice, notice that they say teacher, just teacher. They don't say Lord. They don't even say he who comes in the name of the Lord. They just limit it to teacher, teacher. Silence the crowd. And Jesus turns to them and he says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. The momentum of this moment was so great, and in ways, Jesus uses this as a parable to penetrate the human heart. Look at this. They are so stubborn that they cannot see the truth and lift their voices and join the crowd as well. Are their hearts harder than stone? That's what he's saying. The stones would cry out, what's the matter with them? Their hearts are harder than the stones. Listen carefully. When God begins to move in the human heart, in your heart, in my heart, you better go with the flow. Most of you know exactly what that's like. You've experienced maybe a stirring in your soul. You've opened your Bible and it's begun now to suddenly make sense to you. You've attended worship, and, and, and maybe out of the begin, at the beginning you came because of curiosity or because your mom made you, or for some other reason you, you came, but, but as you came and in worship and an opening of the Bible, you found a stirring in your soul. No, and, and you begin to discover that the Holy Spirit has been drawing you closer and closer and closer to the things of God and that there was a momentum building within you and suddenly now you have a choice. And the choice is you can turn it off and go as hard as stone, even harder than stone, or you can step up to Jesus and join the chorus of heaven and say, no, actually not just say, shout, Blessed are you, for you are my Lord. For the moment, the decision is in your hands. The Bible does say that a day will come when all of creation, rocks and stones and trees and mountains, are going to burst out with a chorus. And there will be no other choice for you to make than to give your human voice uh, uh, some expression and join in the chorus. In Philippians chapter 2, we read that God exalted him, Jesus Christ, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and on under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. For some, at that future moment, that confession will come as a surprise and will be torn out of their heart and it will be 
too late for them to do anything with it. But for now, and in this day, and from the perspective that we have of who Jesus is, Hosanna! Jesus is Lord. And that was the cheer. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the choice that we have for us today is to join in that chorus. But even as the cheers were then rolling like thunder, something happened that we need to see. You need to see. Even as you face that sort of choice in your own heart. In Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Jesus wept. Not in the same way or, 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 or with the same word, in fact, that was used when he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Those were quiet tears. Here, the word that is used for Jesus weeping describes loud sobs and lamentations. He was bawling. Weeping. And you have to picture the scene. Coming around the Mount of Olives, suddenly the whole city, not just parts of Jerusalem, the entire city with the temple as the centerpiece was spread out before the crowd, before him. I've been up into Mount of Olives when I taught in Jerusalem. And I've been up there at dawn and seeing how then the sun's rays come up over the Mount of Olives and suddenly it's just almost as if somebody turns on the light of the city and it just illuminates the temple. Everything goes bright and the whole city is there before him. It's an incredible sight. And Jesus stops and, and, he, and he stuns the crowd with sobs and, and he begins a lamentation in the same literary form as the lamentation of Jeremiah. Listen to his heart. And, you, and, and as you picture the scene, and he says this, If you, Jerusalem, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. If you had only known on this day what would you bring you peace, I am the Prince of Peace. As I read this, two visions come to mind. What I have in your outline is simple reason and a single reality. The simple vision is what Jesus saw of Jerusalem as a city. The fact is, historically, 40 years later, the city of Jerusalem would be reduced to a pile of rubble, drenched in the blood of its people. The Roman legions under Titus would circle the city and and, and barricaded, intending to starve out the, the fierce Jewish resistance within. And, and the famine that, of that siege turned Jerusalem into a graveyard. And as the death count rose, the bodies were actually thrown over the walls 
into the surrounding ravines. And the horror was so great that that the historian Josephus writes, Titus, the the Roman general, going his rounds around, beheld the valleys, choked with the dead, and groaned, raising his hands to heaven and calling God as his witness that this was not his doing. And yet, Caesar ordered the whole city and the temple to be razed to the ground. The wall encompassing the city had to be completely leveled as to leave future visitors uh, to, the, 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 uh, to the spot no ground to believe that it had ever been inhabited. Such was the end to which this frenzy of revolutionaries brought Jerusalem, that splendid city of worldwide renown. Jesus saw this prophetic picture and it tore a sob out of his heart. But this is not just the heart of a king. There's a greater reality involved. This is the heart of God. And within that heart, the heart of God, there is another vision, that single reality. This is how Jesus Christ sorrows over the hearts of those who miss their day, the day that would bring them peace. This is the heart of God as he looks not just over Jerusalem as he looks over Vancouver. And this is the heart of God as he looks over this sanctuary and he sees you as well. He sorrows over the hearts of those who miss their day, the day that would bring them peace, a peace that would come in calling him Lord. And so my question is on this Palm Sunday, is he weeping over you right now? As, you, as your life stands right now, what does he see of your future, of your destiny, out of the commitment of your heart? G. Campbell Morgan wrote of this particular moment. He says, Thou Son of God, in tears, the wondering angels see. Be thou astonished, O my soul. He shed those tears for thee. He shed those tears for you. The tears of Christ reveal the measure and the value of of your soul to him. You are of infinite value in the heart of God. He he wept over Jerusalem, but he, he weeps over you and has wept over you even now. As I studied this passage this week and I went back to that psalm of praise, Psalm 118. In fact, you might want to turn over to Psalm 118 as I I come to the close. There we find those words of Palm Sunday. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But all you have to do is go up a few verses earlier to verse 24 in Psalm 118. And you will find the words that you know so well. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. This is the day. Jesus wept these words, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. The fact is, this is the day for you to welcome him as Lord. This is the day. And really all of this comes down to two very practical truths to take to your heart. God has has gone to great pains to come to you. 
This journey of Jesus wasn't just for Jerusalem, it was for you. And God has a great love to take you into his heart. This is the day. And as the statement goes, carpe diem, will you seize it? It's up to you. Would you pray with me? And gracious Heavenly Father, we would thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And the plan, Lord, that that was established from the very beginning to save us from our sin. It was a long journey, Lord, but one, Lord, that led to the cross and then led to our freedom. It was a journey that, that was blessed. So this is the day that the Lord has made. We rejoice in it by giving you ourselves everything that we are. And joining the crowd, Lord, with, 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 with new meaning to say, blessed is he who comes, who is the Lord, and the Lord of my life too. I freely and willingly give myself to you. And I rejoice, Lord, for the love that you've had for me. And then, Lord, in that, I will serve you as your child, both now and forevermore. Amen.